Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Today we're continuing our series called Big Ten, and uh, excited for you to be here this morning as we continue. I want to start off with a nursery rhyme, if that's okay. I'm a dad of an eight-year-old and a, and a soon-to-be six-year-old. If you know this nursery rhyme, you can say it with me. You might. Uh, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Garbage. Think we should do away with that one? Anybody else? Don't think we should be teaching that one along with Mother Goose and other nursery rhymes for children. Hey, by the way, kids, just want you to know anything mean anyone ever says to you, it's never going to hurt you, right? We all know that's not true. It, it, in fact, I would go as far as to say it's a lie. It, it, it's a lie to think that words would never hurt us. In fact, I want to jump right to scripture to tell you the truth about the words that we have. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of what? The tongue. So God's word actually declares the very opposite of that. It should say something like sticks and stones may break my bones and words could kill me. Words could pollute my soul. We'll talk more about that as we get into this commandment. But if you're just jumping in with us, we're going through the 10 commandments, which are found in the book of Exodus. They were given by God through Moses to the people of Israel, really as a way to show them, here's the best way to live your life. In fact, throughout this series, we've said, if we think that these commands are hard and burdensome and and what's the point, just imagine if everybody in your world follow the 10 commandments, that there was no stealing, that there was no adultery, that, that we all honored the Sabbath and rested. Like, we know that that would be a great way to live. Well, it's because God's given us these. And really what we believe about the Ten Commandments is what we've said for nine weeks, and we're going to say it again next week as we end this series. The Ten Commandments reveal the heart of God and reflect the Christian life. It reveals and it reflects. It shows us who God is because you were created to know God. And once we know him, We start to live different. That's the Christian life. And so today we're on the ninth commandment and I want to read it to you and then I want it to be read together. So here's what it says, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's read that together. Come on. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Everyone's got that one under control. We can go home. Well, we can't for another 30 minutes. We can hang out. None of us has that under control, right? It's okay to be honest today. Now, when we read this commandment, you will not bear false witness. Oftentimes, it's reduced to three words, do not lie. But I want to show you this morning, that's a part of the commandment, but that's not a whole of the commandment. Or I would say it this way, the ninth commandment at its bare minimum says do not lie, but it also says so much more than that. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. So we're reading this in 2022, but this was given to people thousands of years BC at a time where there was no fingerprinting, uh, there was no DNA testing, there were no audio or video records to consult in a courtroom there was eyewitnesses. That matters. 
in the ancient world, an eyewitness was everything to what happened. In fact, you can read not just in biblical text, but in extra biblical text, an eyewitness mattered greatly. I had the privilege a few years ago to serve on a jury through jury duty. And when I served in that process, there was more than just eyewitnesses that were presented. In fact, for that specific case, we had weather reports and we had pictures and charts and all this different stuff and time stamped and video, all of these things. But thousands of years ago, your eyewitness was key. So I want you to understand when God says, do not bear false witness to an ancient society, they understood a false witness could lead to false murder. Now, you know that even today, they certainly knew that back then. In fact, in the law, and even throughout the New Testament, we see that the people of God are instructed, never believe the testimony of just one person. You need at least two. They got to they gotta have their stories matching up. And if you know the gospel and you know Christ, wasn't there false witnesses for his courtroom? We see how it led to an execution. So when, when God says there can be no false witness, he's also bringing us back to, I'm protecting life. Life matters. And we don't want to bear a false witness against our neighbor because a false witness may end in their death. And we're going to see how when this commandment is elevated in the New Testament, could it be that a false witness could also end in spiritual death for people? So we're going to explore. So let's break down what this means first, a false witness. When you look in the Greek, the actual term bear false witness means giving something that is untrue. So that's kind of where we get the do not lie. But it also means giving something that's insincere. And, and Jesus himself was the one who said, your neighbor is who? Everyone. Yeah. Your neighbor is everyone and anyone. In fact, when he was questioned, well, who is my neighbor? He showed his audience, it's not based on race. It's not based on geography. It's not based on location. Your neighbor is everyone. And yes, that does include your actual neighbor, everybody. Wouldn't that be nice if we got a pass on our real neighbor? The annoying one? Yeah, that, that neighbor. You've got him. I've got him. But no, the neighbor is everybody. So do not bear false witness or do not give what is untrue or insincere to anyone. Really, what this command is saying is telling us, don't use your words in a way that brings death. It's saying we do not want to be people that would use our words that would bring death to others. And we're going to look at what scripture says of ways we might do that. Now, this is where I would say, easier said than done. Can I get an amen from some jacked up people in the room? Or am I the only one? It's easy to say that. Okay, fine, I won't bear a false witness. Okay, fine, I won't use my words in a way that brings death. But it's hard. Maybe it was even hard for some of you this morning when you were thinking, how am I going to get to church now earlier than I anticipated? I heard you. Some of you cursed me from your home. I heard it. <laughs> some of you cursed Riverhead. Really, this is happening? We took on a complaining, critical spirit. We're going to look at four specific ways that we might use our words that bring death. But guys, this is an easy commandment to break. It happens flippantly. It happens without thinking. I would say it takes more intentionality to keep the command than it does to break it. 
It's just easy to break. So then what's, what, what's the, uh, the point? What's the hope? How do we move forward then? Well, I want to talk about the tongue today. And to do that, we're going to read a New Testament passage. And I want to show you that there's power in the tongue, that there's a problem with the tongue, but there's also potential with the tongue. Okay, so say it with me. There's power, power. there's a problem, power. and there's potential. potential. So we're going to look at the words of James who we know historically was the brother of Jesus, very clearly the half-brother in some ways, but grew up with Jesus nonetheless and didn't believe that he was the son of God during his earthly ministry and then has a transformation of heart later on and goes on to write what we call the book of James. And here's what he says. When we put bits into the mouse, the mouses, the mouths of horses, my tongue can't speak, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and they're driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless, evil full of deadly poison. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for the vote of confidence. <laughs> no. I mean, think of what we just read, and we're going to go back through it and look at James's words more clearly, but no one finishes that passage of scripture and goes, I've got this. I'm ready. I am in control. This is not a problem for me. We're seeing that James is telling us what I would say we need to write down. Words matter. Very clearly, if we're not taking anything else away from this passage, we are seeing that James, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what we call scripture, is telling us your words matter. Your words have power. And if that's not enough for us to realize the power of our words, just look at one thing that Jesus said when it comes to words. He says in Matthew 12, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Do you know what that's saying to us? That when we say it really doesn't matter what I say, Jesus says, ah, it matters greatly what you say. And I, I think it's okay to draw a connection here in 2022. It matters greatly what you say through the form of text message, through the form of social media posts, through emails, through whatever your communication medium might be. It matters greatly. We say, I don't mean it. And Jesus says, it meant something. It meant something. So Paul, uh, James rather gives us three illustrations, horses, ships, and fire, which I think would be a great title for today's message. That sounds epic, right? Horses, ships, and fire. 
But really, what he's showing us through these three illustrations, and I want you to see this, it's not just that the words we say have power over others, but the words we say actually has power over us. What do I mean by that? The words that we use direct not only the lives of others that we speak them against, but it directs the course of our lives. Look at the illustrations. When it comes to the horse, he says, use, for example, the bit that goes in the horse's mouth. It directs the direction of the horse. Likewise, the ship, the rudder of the ship does not direct other ships, but rather directs the ship itself. And the fire starts within itself. I think this is worth noting because we may, we may get hung up on, well, as long as I don't say the words against my neighbor, isn't that enough? But as we've discovered throughout this series, God is not into behavior shaping. He's into heart transformation. And so if the words are originating within us, and if we never even voice them to the person that we want to say them to, Don't we all know in the privacy of our own home and as we lay our head on the pillow at night, it is directing and shaping our lives. It shapes us. It directs us. It can fill us with an unhealthy anger towards the person and bitterness and resentment towards the person. We may have never even spoken it yet, but it is shaping us. Have you ever sat down for a really good meal with a really bad attitude? (laughs) Is it, doesn't it not matter how good the meal is in that moment? You're trying to swallow the food past the frog in your throat. Just me? Dads, come on, it's Father's Day. We know about this. And you're angry at the table, but you put so much time into the grill or someone did. And it's, it's directing us even from within us. It directs our lives. See, we all know that it shapes us when someone says it to us because who here, just a moment of honesty, has ever been shaped by the negative, hurtful words of someone else? Come on, raise your hand if you have, just so we don't all feel alone. We, we all have. We all know that. By children, by spouses, by coworkers, usually by those closest to us is where the sting is felt the most. But we all know what it's like to be stung that way by words to be shaped by them, to be marked by them. And and this is where I do want to speak specifically to fathers. Fathers, I want you to realize the power of your words uniquely because of how your kids look at you. And I know that in my own kids' lives. I'm amazed at how my kids will remember, especially a hurtful thing that I say in anger that marks them. We know the power of our words Before we get to the hope of the message, let's go a little bit deeper down the dark rabbit hole and talk about the problem as well with our words. James goes on and says this, with our tongue, here's the problem, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So if on the way to church this morning, as you are getting ready to sing out, we praise you, we praise you, you curse that somebody on the road, James chapter three, verse nine, everybody. (laughs) We've all been there. We've all, hear me, we've all been there. Remember the words that James has said, no human being can tame the tongue. We've all seen this problem. He goes on to say in verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, would you say this with me? This should not be. To which we all know it should not be. 
But we all feel hopeless and helpless because after all, as scripture has asked, who can tame the tongue? But here's what I want you to see. This, this matters. On a day where we're recognizing a holiday of life and dignity and value, what is the heart of the ninth commandment? What is the heart that James is getting to here? The problem is when you and I use our tongue to not bless our neighbor, but to bear false witness against our neighbor, the big problem is our neighbor is made in the likeness of God. Have you ever thought about that of the person that we can so easily speak negatively to or about? They bear God's image. We believe in intrinsic value, which means you have value simply because. Not because of achievement or status or claim or notoriety. Not because of the way the world says you deserve our praise and value. No, you have value simply because you are you. You are a person. In fact, can we just go back to verse 9 for a second? What does he say there? It says, we curse human beings, and just in case we don't know, James says, who have been made in God's likeness. The issue is that the person that we want to curse has been made in the likeness of God. See, what has James done so far? James has given us machines, ships, animals, horses, but we are not them. And I think in our society, we may have lost some of that of human value where we can look at a life and say, you don't have value because of maybe your age or size or race or gender or status. No, we are not machines or animals. James emphasizes made in God's likeness. And the problem is I can bless the Lord and I can curse his creation. Now we should be asking this question, how? How do we curse human beings specifically? And so if you've been uncomfortable up until this point of the message, brace yourself. It's gonna get a little bit worse just for a couple moments. Because as I was preparing and really seeking the Holy Spirit's direction for today's message, I sensed that it is worth not leaving the dots unconnected for us today. Anyone ever done like the dot thing when you go from one to two and suddenly there's a star on your coloring sheet? Just me, I have a six-year-old, remember I told you this. I love, is it color by number and the dot outlining and all of that, numbers matter. So today, if I can, I wanna connect the dots for you because I think it's worth us hearing what scripture has to say specifically when it comes to our words. And again, how might we bear false witness against our neighbor? Paul to the Ephesian church, the church of Ephesus, gives them clarity on this so that there's nothing left to the mind's imagination on how we might bear false witness. Here's what he says. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. We are all members of one body. So the first way that I want to show you that we bear false witness against our neighbor is the most common rendering of the ninth commandment. It's lying. It's when we lie. Anybody ever lied before? Show of hands. Those with your hands down just lied, okay? I just, now you can raise your hand with the rest of us, okay? Yeah, we, we've, we've all, we've lied. And 
I want you to write this down. It won't be on the screen, but it's worth you reading later. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. The author of Proverbs lists seven things that God hates, the scripture says. One of them explicitly says, a lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue. Why? Because he does not lie. There is no lie to be found in God and we are made in his image. Jesus said to the religious leaders when they were lying, you speak the native language of your father, Satan, who is the father of lies. And they actually pushed back and said, Satan's not our dad, Abraham's our dad. And it's a very interesting discourse you can read about in John 9. Lying, we've normalized in society as not a big deal. In fact, we've even come up with harmless expressions for it. Little white lie. Or, or maybe some of you like me, I, I, can I generalize for a second? We're from Long Island. It's in us to be compulsive exaggerators, especially when we're talking to our out-of-state family. We tell them how horrible it is in New York and this is happening and compulsive exaggerators. Or if it's not about that, then how many inches of snow did you get? I don't know, it felt like two feet. I was out there for days. Really? It took you days? I mean, just think about that. It sounds so innocent, but we're compulsively exaggerating. I mean, and I think it's most apparent when we talk about our weight or how much food we ate or didn't eat, right? Come on, we get to the doc, doc, your scale's broke. There's something wrong here. I weighed myself at home every day. It, it's almost in us to exaggerate compulsively, and we just call it that. It's an exaggeration. Or I didn't mean it. I'll, I'll throw one out there for dads, especially dads of young kids maybe. This is what the Holy Spirit's been convicting me of this week. When I tell my children I'll be done in five minutes, knowing farewell it won't be five minutes. Someone just got elbowed by their spouse. <laughs> but what is that? It seems harmless. It seems like no big deal. Yet scripture is you must put off the falsehood. What if, what if we were such people of the truth in our speech that people knew every word you say is pointed and truthful? Wouldn't that lead us to bear true witness for our neighbor? as opposed to false witness against our neighbor? Falsehood, lying. In fact, the author of Ecclesiastes says this when it comes to lying, it is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. In other words, it would actually be better for you because your words have such power and influence to direct your life and the lives of others. We read in scripture, we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. I'm just giving you some ways that we might be bearing false witness against our neighbor. Let's go on. Paul writes this in Ephesians. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You know, the phrase there in the Greek, unwholesome talk, is the same Greek word that's used to describe fruit that's gone rotten. Isn't that interesting? And can't we all relate to that when there's rotten words that come out of our mouth? When there's words that lead to death and not life? Now again, just to not connect the dots, I'm just, gonna, I'm just a dot connector, everybody. I want to go on because... Paul gives us what unwholesome talk is. Well, pastor didn't tell me exactly what that meant. 
So let me read it for you in Ephesians 5, 4. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. And I just think what society has normalized and said it's okay, just listen to the words that God has for you today. This is to beat you up, not, no, this is to build you up, not beat you up, although we feel a little beat up. This is to build us up. It's just not for you. And I, and I know it's hard, and I'm right there with you. I, I was making all different kinds of phone calls this morning on the way in to figure out what in the world was happening. And there was a whole lot of opportunities for unwholesome talk to come out of this man's mouth. You can believe me. Josh, you were there. You were driving. Say amen. Go ahead. It's all right. I just take a deep breath. I got to make another call. What do you, Miguel, what do you mean there's no chairs in the Moose Lodge right now? What, what, yeah, that happened this morning too. Uh, what, what do you mean? It's just a whole lot of opportunity for unwholesome talk. We're, I'm just trying to show you we're all there. We're all there. No human being can tame the tongue. Lying, unwholesome talk. But let's go back to what we read, verse 29. Notice, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So that phrase there, helping to build others up, our words, remember what we read at the beginning, there's death and life in the power of the tongue. Our words can build up or they can tear down people. And two ways by which we tear down, I'm gonna give you, again, just, we got lying, unwholesome talk. Here's the last two. Gossip and slander is a way that we can tear people down with our words. And in case you're not familiar with those two things, which maybe you live under a rock, the rest of us know very well what that, those things are because I'm sure we've been on the receiving end of them. No one here has ever done it. I understand that. <laughs> but we know what it feels like Gossip is when we share information about another person with another person. And I've seen all different ways that this happens, especially in Christian circles. Pastor, I have a prayer request. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, I want to talk to you about Amanda in front of everybody right now. Okay, son, that's not a prayer request. That's gossip, okay? Well, you can pretty it up. Gossip, just... just so you know, is sharing information about someone with someone else. In fact, here's a good question to ask as you go to talk about someone else with someone. Would the person appreciate me sharing this detail with this person right now? It may not be a bad thing. I didn't say negative. That's what slander is. Slander is sharing negative information about someone with someone else. Guys, our words matter. Jesus says every careless word matters. So, the power of the tongue, clearly a problem. But James, would you give us the potential? Is there hope for us? There is. And we read it already. James chapter 3, verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of of deadly poison. Do you see the hope? No human being can tame the tongue. But God. But the power of the Holy Spirit. In my preparation for this, I came across some writings by Tim Keller, and I liked what he had to say here, and so I want to share his words with you because he suggests there are two responses we need to have if we are to have God 
tame our tongues. They're not easy. Here's the first. We need to be honest about our dishonesty. We need to actually be honest that our tongues have a problem. So if during this time you have been defensive, you have been offended, your heart has grown hard to this message, therein lies the problem initially. If instead our hearts are soft and we are here saying, I'm going to be honest about a dishonesty problem that I have, about a compulsive exaggerating, about gossip, about slander, about unwholesome talk. I'm going to be honest this morning that there is in me a breaking of the ninth commandment. I bear false witness against my neighbor in some way, regularly or sporadically. We need to be honest about our dishonesty. If all we say is, man, this one was not for me. I'm, I'm killing it on the ninth commandment. I've got this. Finally one. I mean, the stealing thing, I worked, but the, the lying, I'm good. If that's where we find ourselves today, we'll never understand the hope of there's no human being that can tame the tongue. Scripture calls this confession. In fact, it's used by our tongue. It's admitting. It's recognizing. I'm going to be honest about my dishonesty. And so if we're there, here's the second thing. You and I need a word from outside of us. What do I mean by that? Wait, stay with me just for a couple more minutes. Why do we lie? Think about it for yourself. Why, why do you have the need, whether it's a small white lie or it's a larger lie or whatever it is, why do you have the need at some point to give someone information that is untrue? Why, why is it that we lean towards unwholesome talk? Why would we gossip or slander, sharing information about someone with someone? Just think, why? Why these things? Let me suggest a reason why we might do that. We do these things so that we might receive value from the other person. We long for value. So think about it. I will lie to you to make me seem better than I actually am so that you would value me. And that might be in the form of my snow shoveling, my eating, or some other more serious matter. Ah, if I could just seem a little better than I actually am to you, then I would hear that you value me and love me. Why would I have unwholesome talk flow from my mouth? Because if I could cause you to laugh, even if it's through compromising standards I hold to as a Christian, if I could get you to appreciate me in some way, if I could show up with a story that captivates others, then, then I would get that word from the outside that you value me. And why would I gossip and slander? Because if I can make you look worse than me, then I would have your value. See, we break the ninth commandment, as we said in earlier weeks that Luther has told us. We only ever break commandments two through ten because we break commandment one. There's another God that we've set up. You and I long for a word from the outside. And I would say that's not wrong. But where we receive that word matters. And if we look horizontally for that word, then we will break the ninth commandment in hopes that someone would tell us, You're loved. You're valuable. You're part of the group. We accept you. Hear the words that the father spoke over his son, Jesus. 
And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. How many would love for the father to speak that over us today? You are loved. I am pleased with you. You are loved. I am pleased with you. It's what we long to hear. Maybe for you, Father's Day is so challenging because you don't know your father. Because your father abandoned you. Because he never spoke those words, I love you. I'm pleased with you. And so we look at this and say, ah, someone should tell me that. Yes, but not out here. The father himself. And you don't have to lie to get him to tell you those words. And you don't have to speak falsely against a neighbor to get him to tell you those words. Well, then how? How might he say those words over me? He said them over Jesus. Scripture says, and we're going to read it, that the Holy Spirit actually reminds us that we've become the children of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness, notice the phrase, and he is not a false witness. Can I hear someone say amen? He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What that means is that you and I no longer have to lie or speak unwholesomely or gossip or slander or use our words in a way that would harm our neighbor. We can uphold their good name as we rest in this truth. The father is pleased with me and he loves me. Not because of me, because of Jesus. Jesus paid the price for you and for me. That's why we believe salvation is found only in Jesus alone.